for the bare necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean the bare necessities or Mother Nature's recipes that bring the bare necessities of life. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam. Welcome to episode 15 of the Beyond the Boscore podcast. I'm your host, as always, Dave Gershman from White Plains, New York, and from his uh, from his amazing estate in the Greater Toronto area. I'm being joined by Matt Klassen. Matt, hey, what up? Um, G. <laughs> you know we have we have an, we have a really really good show planned for today, Matt, and it, it, it's not even funny. It's not even close to funny. It's it's scary. It's so not funny. It's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, we we have we have some awesome guests. We have Mark Simon of ESPN, uh, stats stats uh, stats guru. He's the host of the Baseball Today podcast, and he is the uh, and he writes for the Stats and Info blog. And we're gonna be and we're also gonna be joined by Baseball Prospectus founder, uh, Royals expert, uh, dermatologist as well, uh, Randy Gisierly of uh, of of his of his uh, independent column as well, uh, Randy on the Royals. And Matt, you know, we're going to talk about some uh, some topics that that occurred, you know, over the past week. We're going to talk a little bit about Milton Bradley and the and the rest of the AL West, actually. And we're going to talk about uh, some comments made by um, by C.J. Wilson and uh, and Josh Tolley. And we're going to talk about Jose Reyes and stuff like that. It's going to be a lot of fun. This is this is definitely our best podcast ever, which makes it the best podcast ever. Yeah, and. We we actually couldn't get the emails this week because we had uh, we had an overload. No, I'm just kidding. We didn't have an overload, but uh, we're not going to get the emails this week. We're not going to get to uh, podcast rates and reviews this week. Although I'm not sure I really want to read the the ratings and reviews because I don't want to cry People again. We're so mean. Yeah, it's um you guys you know you, you need to you need to rate and review the podcast with really nice words, even if you don't like it, just to just to bring our egos up. Uh, yeah. The podcast is on iTunes. It's uh, just search Beyond the Box Score Podcast or BTB Podcast or search Dave Gershman or Matt Klassen, and it'll be there. Uh, Beyond the Box Score is, is, is just where you can search as well. That's what I search to find it. Uh, if you'd like to send your emails and have them answered on, on the podcast or comments or, or what have you, uh, send your questions and, and comments or whatever to, B, to uh, btbquestions at gmail.com. Matt and I are on Twitter. I have I have a substantial, uh, largely uh, amount, uh, more amount of followers than Matt. Matt's Matt's struggling down there, Matt, and I'm sorry. Uh, but Matt and his uh, is it 1,010, 20 followers? I don't know. I'm not into I'm not into stats. Well, uh, <laughs> let me look, let me look it up here. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, what are you even working on this work? Dave, you got any posts coming up? Well, yeah. Let me just finish the housekeeping first. If you want to follow Matt on Twitter, oh, yeah. he's at Sorry. Devil underscore Fingers. And and Matt, the reason I asked you about your followers is because every every day, you know, I I need to know how many more followers I have than you, because yeah. it brings my ego up. Okay. So, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Dave underscore Gershman. And um and definitely uh, uh, uh check us out on Facebook. Just search up Beyond the Box Score on Facebook. We don't really have a podcast Facebook, but we have. Uh, I'll be on the Boscore Facebook account, so that's that's good. And and Matt, one thousand eight, one thousand eight. Okay, so I'm <laughs> right, so so I have to make sure whatever I do, I I can't have less than one thousand eight. But yeah, but the funny thing is, is we talk about this every week, Matt, is that uh, you delete your spam followers and I don't. So you have about you have one thousand eight more followers than I do. People followers. Yeah. Well, let's get into what we want to talk about, Matt. And um, you know, uh, one of the big one of the big baseball topics. Uh, 
that's you know that's made headlines, uh, you know, a lot lately has been Jose Reyes and and his uh, you know his contract situation is that he's he's going to be a free agent after this year and the Mets are not having a good season and they're not you know and they're not really a team built to win this year so Jose Reyes is going to be traded and, and that's and that's the consensus and you know there's been a lot of teams Matt that have been you know that have been uh, uh, discussed about a potential Reyes uh, you know landing spot you know the Giants the Reds but there's no team that really that you know that really uh, has a perfect place for Reyes. And and you look at a lot of teams. There's, there's a lot of teams who you know who before the season started, we would have thought that they would be contending and maybe need a shortstop mid-season. For example, the Twins. I mean, I thought, I thought if, you know if the Twins were in, I thought they'd be a great fit for Jose Reyes. But they're you know aside from the Giants and Reds and maybe maybe the Braves if the if the Mets are willing to trade with them division, uh, you know the Yankees too, which is a whole different story. There's there's no there's no certainty as to where Jose Reyes could go if traded. So Matt, what do you think about the whole situation? Well, the certainty that he could go any that anybody can go anywhere. Uh, Reyes has a lot of value. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, yeah, and I think he's become weirdly underrated. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's all this crap about his not being a smart player. The usual stuff you get anytime a guy is good and has a couple seasons. He's been hurt. Has definitely yet. You know, he's a good player. There's a lot of places to give it. Obviously, there's no certainty because. Uh, who knows what people are going to want to give up for him? But this is a guy who's uh, for one thing he's 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 not even he's going to turn 28 next month, so he's he's relatively young. Uh, he's going to be a big uh, free agent in the off season, but uh, but yeah, you know the Mets. Uh, I'm sure you know. I don't know. I don't think they have anybody to bring him back. The question is whether they they have the money. Right. Well, yeah. okay. <laughs> Those that's stolen from people, but uh, uh, this isn't a team that this isn't a team that should rule out re-signing him. Uh, he's going to have value. There are teams that could use him. The Giants, I think, are a great fit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, uh, but Reyes is hitting as well as he ever has. I mean, look, it's early in the season. But this is a guy who looks like he's he's back to his uh, pre uh, 2010 form. I mean. Uh, to, even to have a shortstop who can be a, uh, an average hitter, uh, if he can play, and I think Reyes has maybe slipped a bit defensively, uh, but he's he's not terrible. Um, he's probably he's probably around average, maybe a little below now. But uh, some people would say still rate him as being above average. Uh, but I, let's say he's average. This is a guy who, uh, you know, even in this down run environment, is hitting three twenty, three sixty seven, four ninety uh, through last night's games. Uh, He's he's he, he's never walked a lot, but he doesn't have a terrible walk rate, right? He's not. Right. Uh, he doesn't strike. He makes good contact. He has. Uh, he's never had like incredible power, but he's got above average power. Uh, this is a guy who can stick it short. He can play short. He's 28. He's he's fast. Uh, yeah, he's going to be in demand. The Giants make all sorts of sense. Yeah. But uh, who actually might make sense too? Uh, the Tigers. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good because call. they might have money to resign him. Uh, Johnny Peralta is not terrible, but they could do better. The Tigers could use a lift. They're definitely in contention. They're the, they're probably going to pass the Royals this week or next. Uh, they, I think they're, I mean, they're not winning, but I say they're the favorites to win the Central right now, given what's going on with the Twins and, and White Sox. Uh, yeah, the Twins don't. The Twins uh, just have had all sorts of bad luck. Who are the other teams you mentioned? Well, the Reds. Yeah, there's the Reds. There's the, the there's the Giants and the Braves make some make sense. The Braves make a little bit of sense. 
Yeah, I don't see that happening. Yeah, the Braves and the Mets, rivals. Uh, who knows? The, the Braves seem to love Alex Gonzalez. Uh, uh, but I, I don't think I don't see that happening. Uh, he's not going to the Phillies. Right. Yeah. No, he's not. He's not. The Giants. The Giants make the most sense. The Tigers being. Yeah, that's the team I was thinking. Of. I, I mean, I really like what you said, and I hadn't really put that to context until you mentioned it. And I'm trying to think of you know they have, you know the thing about the Tigers is is you know, first of all their system uh, prior to last year's draft was was very bad. But I mean there are, there's a lot of guys who you could look at uh, from last year's draft class who are. Um, a tradable, you know, um, you know, uh, obviously the ones who signed before the uh, the August 16th deadline, who could make some sense of the trade. I think Jacob Turner is obviously the first guy the Mets would ask for. I'm not sure if the if the Tigers would be willing to give him up, but that's a really, yeah. I mean, I mean, Matt, it's a, it's a really good fit the Tigers. I think I think that's an excellent well, point you made. Well, it's a good it's a good fit for the Tigers. Yeah, well, you're right. Though. I'm not sure that I'm not sure the Tigers have. A... You're right, the Tigers, I should have thought more about that. I'm not sure what the Giants would be willing to trade them. Yeah, they have yeah, depth I, in their system. I mean, they're not going to trade Belt, and they're not going to trade Bumgarner. And, and and Jonathan Sanchez is a free agent after next year, so that wouldn't make any sense. I mean, have... but, 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 but look, we just we're, uh, uh, we talked about this with Randy in a pre-record interview. Guys, the guys aren't going for as much now either, right? I mean, if Granky didn't bring back any studs. Except potentially owner I mean, Yeah, they have Eric Sirk, and so, they have Heath Henry, some guys like that. You know, yeah, they, yeah, they can make some sense if the Mets want pitch. So they're not going to. So they're not going to get a monster prospect back. I don't know. Uh, why aren't? Is there any talk of them resigning him? Well, that's the thing, and I think there should be. And if you look at certain uh, contracts from free agent shortstops in the past, you know, I think it's definitely worth looking into because Matt, it's not easy. I mean, one of the hardest positions to uh, one of the hardest positions to fill is a really, really good shortstop. I mean, and, you know, just a shortstop in general, and. And you know, a race. Uh, race does it uh, offensively. Obviously, you know he's so fast, but he but he has a he has a pretty underrated glove. And I think, I mean, I think the priority has to be to re-sign Reyes. Um, at the same time, you know, the Mets, you know, they could still get you know if they're fixated on getting you know some prospects to fill the system if they're out of it mid-season, they could you know they still have some guys like uh, K. Rod and Beltran potentially uh, who could who could be uh, trade bait. You know, I I think their best. I think and, and, you know Reyes loved being on the Mets and and. You know, he interacts with the fans. He 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 said publicly that he likes being on the Mets. I think it's something they have to look into. Uh, I will say though that you know, if teams, Matt, and I'm sure you can agree, if the, you know, if we're if we're in July right now, if we're early in July, if we're if we're in late June, and teams aren't that eager to you know to acquire a race and give up prospects, I don't think the Mets should even do it. I mean, you know, and and plus if they if they if they can't resign him, they get two draft picks. But I think well that that might change with the CBA. That could, yeah, well, yeah, that could change. But I think the priority has to be to re-sign this guy because the Mets. Let's be honest. You know, everyone makes fun of the Mets. The Mets aren't going to be a bad team forever. And if they're going to be a good team in the future, which they are, they need to have some really good players. And you know, it's a cliche, but but you know, but every team needs you know every team needs to have their holes filled. And I think if if they if they have a shortstop who's who's not Reyes, you know, if they have a shortstop who's not as good as Reyes, it's, you know, the team is, isn't going to be. Um, you know, as as dynamic as as it would be uh, with Reyes, and it, you know, I'm I'm just talking gibberish here because it, it makes so much sense. You know, obviously, but yeah, yeah, they have to look into signing him. And I think I think uh, if they look at some um, some contracts in the past, maybe the Farcal deal. Um, you know, I, 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 yeah, Farcal was not the player that Reyes is. No, but I mean, Reyes Reyes had injury problems. That's what I mean. Yeah, they 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 should be trying to re-sign him. And the only thing that should give them pause is is injury concern. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 look, they've got 
they've got some dumb contracts. They're 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 gonna have a lot of money coming off the books. Oliver Perez will be off the books. Luis Castillo will be off the books. Uh, Beltran, who that was a good contract. Yeah. Uh, just as he he you know he's old enough. Do they have they, do they have any middle good middle infield prospects? That's the thing. They really don't. They have they have Reese Havens, who's not very who's not very good. They had they had Wilmer Flores, who's not going to be a shortstop, and he might not even be a third baseman right. at this point. So and but here's the thing, okay? And and I know Mike uh, Michael Diaz, a for, former minor leaguer and currently of Mets minor league blog. I know he discussed this a while back. You know the Mets are entering this draft in a fairly good position. And uh, there's some pretty good shortstops available. There's there's a, there's a Francisco Lindor who's probably going to go in the top ten. But then you have guys like Christian Lopes, and you know we're not going to talk about the draft really in depth here. But, but you know, but there's guys like Christian Lopes, a Levi Michael, some good players, you know, some good middle infielders. There's Colton Wong. I think I think you know the Mets might have to look into finding uh, some good <coughs> infielders in this draft because look, you know, well, they, sh- they the Mets need everything in this draft, but you know that shouldn't factor into the decision on whether or not to oh, sign. Oh no, it's not going to factor into the decision. Reyes. But you know, but just in general, because because I think I mean you know again, it's so hard to find a really good middle a middle infielder. If you look at the shortstops in Major League Baseball, there's really only a couple, only a few uh, you know fantastic defensive shortstops, and Reyes is Reyes is both. Well, I don't think Reyes is a fantastic defensive shortstop. I think he's 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 a he might be above average. I, I'm not yeah, sure. That's what I mean. I mean, I, I'm not putting him down. I think I think he's a great player. But look, uh, Reyes is a better player than all. And we talk about the great defensive shortstops. Uh, I mean, who are legitimately good with the glove. Yeah. We're talking, in my opinion, uh, Alexi Ramirez, Brendan Ryan, uh, maybe maybe Alcides Escobar. Yeah. He's good. I mean, uh, um, but none of those guys can hit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Out. But well, I mean, well, okay. Alexi can hit a little. bit. Yeah, but he's not Jose uh, Reyes, and he doesn't have the speed. Jose, the speed. Yeah. Well, just as a, as a play, none of those guys are the play have the upside Jose yeah, Reyes does. Absolutely. Not. And the Mets look. The Mets obviously their their ownership situation. Uh, oh my there's god. There's a lot of question Matt, marks with their money. Matt, what? hold on a second. What? Melky Cabrera just hit a home run. It's dead center field. Booyah! Are you kidding me? Well, I didn't tell you, so I'm are not kidding. Are you kidding me? You don't. You don't want to get behind in the count on Melky Cabrera. Look, there's Royals fans he'll, cheering. He'll he'll eat you alive. Yeah. Oh, Freddie Garcia, how could you be so stupid? Well, good. I, you know, uh, I mean, I, you know, I must be a huge Royals fans were happy. So good. Thank you, Melky. On to what we were saying. So, Sorry, Matt. So, so, but no, I, I I'm, I'm a Reyes fan, uh, and I think look, the Mets uh, now, now they have a lot uh, number of guys going to arbitration next year, but they're 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 guaranteed payroll. Is under seventy million dollars next year. Now, I was saying that you know there's issues with the, you know we don't know they might be it might be no problem, uh, in terms of money, but uh, next year given given the situation with the uh, with uh, ownership, but they have money to recenter. So I don't know how much he's so everyone needs a shortstop, so a lot of people are going to want him, uh, and you know I I don't know what they're thinking internally. Uh, right. I think I think the first thing they should do is see if they can if they can re-sign into something they can live with, because they're not going to be able to get that much for him uh, back in a trade. Not that he wouldn't be worth it, but they're just not going to get anything. The, the, the Mets are the kind of team that can afford to re-sign exactly, Jose Reyes. Yeah. I, you know, I think and, I mean, I mean, F. Rod's not going to bring anything back. He's overrated. Yeah, uh, he's not that good. Uh, Beltran, I'm a big. Carlos Beltran fan, but uh, he's <laughs> making so much money. The Mets would have to eat a lot of it to even get a minimal return back. Uh, Reyes is still young, and and if you get signed to a good deal, um, 
that might add trade value. Now I'm not sure he's going to give them a discount. Right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's I that needs to be the first thing they need to find out. I mean, if they if they unless they think there's serious concerns about his health going forward, that that that's that should be their first option. Right. Well, because he's I I, I actually think he's underrated. Well, Denver won. Remember when the when the A's traded Matt Holiday and you know they there was a lot of question at at the time if they had gotten enough value back they got Clayton Mortensen back they got Brett Walls back and they got uh, Shane Peterson back and there was discussion at the time if it was really enough and you know a couple months later and then you know and even now it, it's it, it was not enough at all but but you know at the time Brett Walls was a highly regarded prospect and and they got Michael Taylor back after they traded uh, uh, you know Walls to the Jays they, they got Michael Taylor back who who was at the time as well. A very highly regarded prospect, so I think yeah. that's what they're looking, looking for. Maybe. Yeah, looking. Yeah, but looking back on it, uh, that was a bad one. Uh, as much as I like Jose Reyes, uh, you know, I, well, I was actually talking this on Twitter that Matt Holiday is one of the most underrated players in the last half decade. Um, I was in terms of Fangraphs wins above replacement. The only two, the only two players who are ahead of him from 2007 to 2011 are. Albert Pujols and Chase Upman. Wow. Position players. So, and I, I don't think Reyes is on that level because Holiday is also very durable. Yeah. Um, and Holiday is just an awesome hitter. And he, he's an underrated def- defender. But about but, 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 but Reyes, and I, I like, like I said, I like Reyes. He's not that. <laughs> uh, but that, that was a dark series of moves. I mean, I still think Billy Bean does a good job. Yeah, but, I agree. Uh, I mean, it, it didn't look as bad as it looked in the... I mean, God, they gave up Gonzalez. I mean, I'm not a huge Houston Street fan, but uh, right. Gonzalez Street and some other dude from Matt Holiday, who ended up turning into Michael Taylor, who now is not even one of their top Right, top he's not. Yeah. Or, 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 well, that's not quite true, but he's not a... They might have been just better off taking the draft picks. Yeah, well, you know what? Let's talk about another former A. Let's talk about Miller Bradley. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's a... You know... I'll be honest. It, it, I mean, it's kind of sad the way his career has panned out. He's a guy who's always had. Well, it is sad. It is yeah, sad it, because 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 it's easy to pile on the guy. Look, and yeah, I mean, I admit I was one of the guys who probably I stuck up for him a little bit, and uh, you know I thought that was a good trade for the Mariners. I didn't love the the contract for the Cubs. I didn't mind it. I think uh, it's a combination of two things. Sorry, what were you gonna say about it? Well, I was gonna say, you know, because the guy, the guy, you know, for for a majority of his career, he wasn't a bad player at all. He was a really good player, but no, he's a good he was player. A re- and, and, and and it wasn't just his attitude. I mean, that, that was obviously a problem. The guy's obviously trouble. And if you read uh, Shannon Dreyer had a good yeah, piece about I saw, it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, you really get the idea. I mean, look, I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so just as a as a guy watching, you wonder if he. I mean, I think he's obviously said he he needs some help, and I think his career is probably over. But this is a guy who also kept getting hurt. But man, when he was healthy, he was incredible. People don't remember even those. Da- I mean, he. This is a guy who could, who could just had a great on base percentage. And he, when he started out, he was a decent defensive center fielder. And I think his range got progressively worse. And I think by time after uh, a time he got to Texas, I think his knee injuries really robbed him of his range. Yeah. This is a guy who could hit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he's always been. He's always, he's always been a very good player. He's always been a, but you know, yeah. I mean, and the thing people see on TV is are his are the you know are the things he does uh, with the fan. You know, I mean, his bad attitude, the the uh, the negative things he does uh, with the bat, with the you know with the fans. You know, but a lot of people don't don't realize that that he was a good player. But the thing is, yeah, as you said, you know, this was you know at the time he was traded for Carlos Silva. Everyone said this is his last chance. And things didn't go well in Seattle, and I think this is, you know, I think that was his last chance. And it is sad that he's not going to be able to, 
you know, uh, to play anymore if that happens because he probably still has something left. You know, he's not, I mean. Yeah, well, he's, yeah, but he was terrible with the Mariners. He actually hit okay with the Cubs. Yeah, he People did. don't remember that he because did. he had a, he, he had a, almost a 380 on base percentage. Yeah. But I think at that point, this is a guy who went from, uh, with the Dodgers being a, a pretty good defensive center fielder, uh, and with the A's, by that time he was a pretty good quarter outfielder. By the time he got to the Cubs, he 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 lost a lot of his range. The Cubs and Mariners, yeah. and, and his bat was no longer good enough to uh, to be a DH. So uh, I do think that was unfortunate. Well, yeah, but I'll tell you this, okay? I think it was a little unfair with with you know because well, let's be honest. Last year, last year in 2010, he wasn't very good, but he wasn't as bad as he was to start this year. I think it was a little bit unfair pairing him with Eric Wedge again this year and expecting him to, you know, to uh, expecting him uh, uh, to succeed mentally because cause that didn't happen. And, and uh, <clears throat> you know, in 2000, I think it was 2002 after, yeah, so he was traded from the Expos to the to the Indians in 2000, after 2001. And then he got into an yeah. argument with uh, with um, with Eric Wedge and then he was traded in to the, the Dodgers. In the, in, the, in the 2004 preseason. Yeah, and he, yeah. But the season before that, man, this guy, he had his line in 2003. Uh, he played above average defensive center field. He hit 321, 421, 501. I mean, a 400 on base percentage from a good defensive center fielder. He could steal bases. Yep. He hit for some power. This guy always had good strike zone judgment, uh, even when he didn't hit for average. With the Dodgers in the next year in a much harder hitter's park, this is a guy who put up, he only hit 267, still had a 360 on base percentage and still played good defense. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I but, you know, all, all, you know, the, the Mariners have to do what's right. They can't. He's not. Bradley's not good enough to where they need to make managerial choice. I mean, he needed to adjust, and he couldn't. I mean, if 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 I don't know whether Brett Wedge is the right guy or not, but they can't be making a managerial decision based on a guy who was lucky to even be invited back. Right. Yeah. And you know, yeah. I mean, I. But I'll be honest. I. You know, I really do think that. I do think that he deserves another chance with the team, and I think. You know, there was a team I was thinking about. I'm not sure if it would make uh, that good of sense at all, but uh, but one of the guys Milton Bradley got along uh, really well with in his time with the Expos was, was Pete McCannon, who's now the bench coach for the Phillies. And if you look at the Phillies outfield, it's not that good. You know, they have Raleigh Bynes who's been struggling a lot, uh, and, and he hasn't really been unlucky. And, uh, you know, Ben Francisco uh, could use, you know, I mean, who's ever playing who's ever playing a right field for the meantime unless Donald Brown's called up. You know, they could use a, a, good, uh, a good left-handed bat. I, I think the Phillies might, might make a little bit of sense. I'm not sure what you think. Yeah, I'm not sure the NL makes any sense for him. I don't think he's going to be able to stay healthy uh, playing the outfield regularly. Yeah. I think he needs a team where oh, – maybe. Uh, one thing I will say is that maybe he's a guy who would have worked better on one-year deals. Yeah, yeah, so, Or minor league you know, deals. Well, if he takes no, now, now I, I don't think he'll get a major league deal. Yeah. I'm not even sure he'll get a minor league deal. I mean it's just – it's one thing. I mean, this guy ran. I mean, he got released by the A's, or he got DFA. I mean, they just let him go. I mean, the Mariners. No, the A's. No, the, I mean, so so it's not. It's not like no the, years ago. No, the A's traded him to the to. The, oh yeah, that's right. The, yeah, they, yeah, they let him go. And then the, the A's traded Ethier for him. Yeah, and, and the Padres signed him after that. Yeah, you're right. So I mean, it's not like this guy is. I mean, we always kept saying, well, we don't know the whole story, but I mean, and it happens with that many organizations. I mean, I I like to see it for Bradley. Uh, but you know it's uh, yeah it's sad. He's, it's 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 too bad that I I don't think any I'd be surprised I'd be pretty shocked if anyone gave a major league deal uh, because he hasn't hit for two seasons and he didn't even hit that well with the Cubs um, 
So he get, basically he's leaving himself to the AL. He, he can't. There's nowhere he can go back to. No other organizations want to want to want him back. So that I don't. I, I don't know. Uh, I was. Uh, I, it would be great. To, it would be a great story if he could get it together and be a productive player again. Yeah. But I think he's he's got to. I don't know. I I. I I won't be hoping on it. Yeah. I, I won't be banking. I, I, I wouldn't bet anything on it. Well, for what uh, it's worth, I, for what it's worth, uh, Sean Chacon, after his, uh, after what he did uh, with the Astros, got signed by the A's to a minor league deal. And, uh, and you know, another guy who I looked at, I think is a pretty good uh, comparable in terms of, of the Bradley type, uh, you know, uh, mental state of, of this player, uh, Elijah Dukes. He, uh, you know, he got released by the Nationals, and then he signed with, and then he signed with the Newark Bears in the Independent League. And maybe that's the way to go for Bradley. I mean, it, you know, I, I really... You know, yeah, but Dukes is never going to come back. Exactly, that's the thing. But I'm, you know, but I'm saying it. it, it you and, know, Bradley... Brad, but Bradley doesn't need to do that. Yeah, he's he's. I mean, unless he he blew it all, he's made decent money. He had a third, he, He's going to make twelve million dollars this year. Yeah. Uh, whatever he does, you know, I don't know. I I'm not going to say or make recommendations. Yeah, he's he's going to do a Doctor Phil and say he needs to stay home and get his life. To, he needs to stay home and get his life together. Yeah. Uh, I think there's questions whether he can. I'm not sure how much upside there is there anymore. He's in his early 30s. He's beat up. So, I mean, do you give chances to guys like that if you don't think they're going to be a pain? Right. Uh, I can see him getting a minor league deal somewhere down the road, but uh, I'm not sure. We'll see. Well, should we take a break? Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Well, we're we're, going to take a break real quick. This is a really good, really good Bradley discussion. I had a good time doing that, Matt. And when we get back, we're going to talk to uh, we're going to talk to Mark Simon of ESPN, and then and then Randy after that. And then uh, Matt and I will close up real quick. So uh, until then. Welcome back to the podcast. Now we're being joined uh, by ESPN uh, baseball research specialist Mark Simon. Mark, how are you? Good. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the site. Of course. And, and you know, um, I really wanted to do this because uh, first and foremost, uh, I know that you just um, – Brought a couple guys on, or brought two people back onto ESPN uh, for the baseball research site, and also you are a big fan of Beyond the Box Score, and you know this is, this is primarily um, the type of stuff uh, that you do. So you know, so I want to ask you uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, what exactly um, goes on at your, you know, uh, your neck of the woods? Sure. Um, well, I work in a department, the Stats and Information Department at uh, ESPN. Uh, and my section of uh, our department is the research department. We have about 40, uh, we've, we've like doubled in size since I started there in uh, 02, but we have about 40, somewhere between 40 and 50 people. And our jobs uh, are primarily to make our content that we produce, uh, whether it be for print, TV, radio, whatever medium we, uh, ESPN produces content for, make them sound smart. Uh, we do that in a number of ways. We, uh, we're information uh, gatherers and providers uh, with knowledge of uh, websites and resources such as yours and fan graphs and baseball reference and uh, things like the Elias Sports Bureau, which is the official statistician for the four major sports. Uh, we, the, a lot of the graphics that you'll see on shows like mm-hmm. Sports Center or Baseball Tonight uh, come from people like us. Uh, we have templates from which we're building graphics for the different shows, and everyone's assigned a show or a project uh, that they're working on on the particular day that they're uh, working. Uh, some people work with ESPN.com to provide graphics and content for uh, the articles uh, that they write and do stuff for the Stats and Info blog. Uh, some people work with Mike and Mike and with the Scott Van Pelt Show to enhance the content uh, that they do. Uh, we're there to answer the questions that the talent may have. 
if a host or analyst wants to be able to discuss something at a level beyond what they know, they'll come to us and they'll, and they'll talk to us. And uh, I handle the baseball side. and uh, the, They call it the specialist. It's a newly created position where anything that our group does that involves baseball, I'm essentially, I have a hand in it and I oversee it. Uh, and uh, it's in, <laughs> it keeps me busy, I will say that. So what would you say is the most fun part of doing what you do? Okay. Well, my, uh, my gig is kind of multifaceted, and I'll give you I'll give that's a there's a long answer here, but I, I think mm-hmm. you'll kind of get the picture. Um, so the, from 2004 to 2010, I worked on Baseball Tonight, and that was pretty much the only thing that I did uh, four and five days a week, uh, where I was the lead, the lead researcher for the show, and uh, I worked with Carl Ravitch and Steve Berthiaud mm-hmm. and our, our various hosts and our talent, and I built the graphics and I uh, dealt with the talent. Uh, and I still do that a little bit. I do that one or two days a week now. But with this new job, uh, I oversee everything, which means that for the game telecast, uh, for each game telecast that we do, the thing that I like uh, doing for them, the morning of the game or the night before, I'll write up a document for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ten things that I think are interesting pertaining to your game tonight. And I'll share that with the play-by-play announcer and the analysts and the producer. And sure enough, two, three times during the course of the broadcast, you'll hear them set on the air. And that's pretty rewarding to, uh, to see your work get validated like that. Uh, so that's, mm-hmm. that's an aspect of the job that I like. Uh, I also do writing for uh, ESPNNewYork.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I am a contributor to the Mets blog. I, last year I think I did between 150 and 200 pieces. And the nice thing about it is I have kind of a free reign that I can, I can do stuff that's statistical. Mm-hmm. I can do stuff that's historical. I can do stuff that's anecdotal. Uh, I can do stuff on the Mets. I can do stuff on the Yankees. Mm-hmm. They've given me a pretty good uh, leash, I guess, to be able to do what I uh, what I want to do. And I'm also the co-host, if we can plug this, uh, of, I guess, a rival podcast, yeah. the uh, Baseball Today podcast on ESPN.com. I do that with Eric Carabell two days a week. And we kind of take the approach of uh, Keith Law hosts the other three days, and he's very intense into player analysis and player development and things mm-hmm. of that sort. On our two days, uh, we, Eric and I tend to focus on the idea that, hey, baseball is cool, and let's look at how cool baseball is from a fan's perspective. And we'll talk about advanced stats, yeah. or we'll talk about silly trivia, or we'll talk about uh, goofy things that happened in games the night before. All intended with the idea, and essentially this is true with any of the projects that I work on, to make baseball more fun and more enjoyable for everyone that likes to follow it. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you should mention uh, advanced stats because I was going to ask you, you know, the thing is, uh, you know, all of you, uh, Steve Berthium, Carl Ravish, Keith Law especially, and, and yourself, uh, you know, you guys all have the knowledge of, of, you know, you guys have more knowledge than most uh, people in America in terms of baseball. And, and you know, I want to ask, uh, Mark, you know, uh, how do sabermetrics and advanced stats uh, come into place? Because a lot of times that you have to apply to the average fan, um, especially if, well, you know, in terms of uh, how writing is a little bit different, but, you know, on TV and, and whatnot. And so so how, does that, uh, so how does that play in? That's that's a good question. It's a topic that we've uh, spent a lot of time talking about and trying to execute within the last two years. Uh, people that watch Baseball Tonight or Sports Center might have noticed that there are more next-level graphics. That's the way that we bill the sabermetric content or the, some of the different uh, kind of content that we've been doing lately. The key, I, I found there to be a couple of keys, and I think I mentioned this when I did the interview with Steve Skowinski that was on the site. Yeah. Um, the key is to A, to simplify it for the average fan. Mm -hmm. For example, what's war? War is essentially, wins above replacement is essentially who's the best player. It it settles the argument who's the best player, Mm -hmm. A, in baseball on this team 
over this time period. Uh, that, that's what it is. It's offense plus defense. They have a way to calculate offense. They have a way to calculate defense. You probably wouldn't add batting average and fielding percentage, but other people have done the work to establish these systems that allow you to, uh, to do that. Mm-hmm. And it, like, for something like that, it's a good tool to be able to show a fan when a player gets hurt. Hey, Jimmy Rollins is hurt. Uh, he's going to be replaced by Wilson Valdez, who mm-hmm. isn't necessarily very good. Uh, how much better is Jimmy Rollins than Wilson Valdez in terms of what you could expect in terms of wins? Everyone gets wins and losses. How much better is Jimmy Rollins win-wise than someone like Wilson Valdez? And a stat like that can uh, can show it. And then, I mean, something like FIP. We've experimented trying to put FIP and XFIP in graphics that have been on our show with somewhat mixed success. But in the end, what's FIP? FIP is essentially taking a pitcher's strikeouts, walks, and home runs allowed comparing them to another pitcher and saying, who's got the better combo? You and I can can look at it and tell you who's got the better combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's not a complicated thing to understand. I think a lot of the time there's the feeling of, oh, boy, I'm afraid of the math. Oh, boy, I'm going to get turned off by the math. But I don't think that's the case. I think if you can get past the math and look at what the thing is trying to show, you can uh, tell a good story to the viewer. So have there been any efforts um, on ESPN, you know, even Baseball Tonight, um, in which you know the analysts or or uh, or people you know like you have uh, I've made an effort to try to explain you know not in terms of writing because you know let's be honest if you, you know if you're going to write an article uh, you know defining a you know a, a FIP or or a wins above replacements it's much easier than you know saying it you know in person or on TV. Absolutely, we use we we try to use graphics to supplement that uh, to make it easier. Uh, we had a meeting. We had two meetings uh, earlier this year where we brought. Um, the hosts of the show, uh, Carl and Steve, mm-hmm. and we brought all of the production people that work on the show, and we sat them down and we said, here are five or six that we're probably going to try and introduce to the viewer this year. Let's, get, let's all kind of work together here to establish how we want to do that. Mm-hmm. And we had some very good conversations. Uh, I mean, both Carl and Steve are very smart guys, and they understand both television and they understand baseball. So they were going along with us essentially saying, all right, here's how I think one approach that we can take uh, with, with regards to this. And it was, it was very civil. It was very pleasant. Uh, and it was a very intelligent discussion. Mm. Uh, with the analysts, we sat some of them down and talked to them. It's funny. At one of Perez, I think this was in mid-March, I went up to him and I said, do you know what wins above replacement is? And he had no idea. <laughs> and then we explained it to him. And in the last Baseball Tonight pre-show meeting that I was in. We're sitting there talking about the Indians, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he says, you know, by the way, I was, I was reading on fan graphs today that uh, every player on the Indians has a war of, of zero. There's no players on the Indians with negative war. Yeah. And it's like, how the heck did, did you know that? <laughs> and sure enough, we talked afterwards. He said, he said I, you know, I went to fan graphs, as you guys suggested. I've, I've been to, and I'll, I, I'll be honest, I put your site on the list, too. Uh, he, he's gone to these sites, he's read up, and he's taken what he's interested in, and he's learning more about it. And what are some, yeah, and you know, I was asking you about that as well. Uh, what are some of the some of the resources that you guys use in terms of, of reading tablets? You know, Fangraphs is, is an amazing site, uh, mm-hmm. a BP. Uh, you know, so, so if you guys are going to get information, aside from using your own, because I'm sure there's an ESPN, well, you know, there's a lot of ESPN databases, and they have great stats on ESPN.com. Uh, sure. How do you guys go about uh, finding, you know, some some uh, some behind the scenes stats and some complicated stats? 
Well, all right. Uh, well, for uh, we have arrangements with certain sites that mm. we can we can use their material mm. uh, to an extent, uh, and certain sites, including yours, I think at one time had relationships with ESPN.com. Mm. Um, so we 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 do a lot of like we've come to the decision that for wins above replacement, we're going to use Fangraphs mm. uh, over Baseball Reference whenever possible. Yeah. So we, uh, that's one that that. Uh, you know, there was some discussion about, and we came to a, a decision about. Uh, with with regards to that sort of stuff, we're going to the I think the same sites that that you and I are going to. Yeah. Anything that has a glossary, we're taking a, definitely taking a good look at. And I've encouraged people to read a number of different um, articles. They might be the ones that tend to be the easiest sales are the ones that are a page. Right, because uh, they're short and they get right to the point, and they're uh, often very productive. And like on Beyond the Box Score, the infographics uh, are very uh, useful mm. to try and convey points because uh, they they essentially establish the point in a in a visually <laughs> friendly format that people are able to grasp. With the with regards to the pitch data uh, stuff that you may see on our shows, we've been working with uh, some outside companies. Uh, with regards to certain tools, mm -hmm. uh, some of which you may, you may have seen. We're doing some stuff with heat maps now where I think we're close to getting that. Uh, on, uh, you've, we've run it on ESPN.com in certain places. I think you'll see it on TV in the near future. Uh, but we've been working closely with certain companies to build tools that will work for television as opposed to a major league baseball team. Uh, and the results are pretty promising at this point. And it's it's a very uh, eye-opening process to go through and, and test these things out and mm -hmm. find all the kinks uh, in them. Yeah. Hey, well, Mark, just a couple more questions because I want to let you go sure. soon. Uh, but, you know, I know that uh, you mentioned uh, that you write for the ESPN uh, Stats and Info blog, and I believe that you, uh, that you run it. And um, so, you know, so if, if someone's going to go and read it, uh, what, what's unique about it, you know, a, a different, you know, aside from it being a New York, uh, mainly New York, uh, what's it, you know, what's different uh, from, you know, from, some, from a site like Beyond the Box even, uh, Okay, well, there, there's two things here. One is the Stats and Info blog is on ESPN.com. That's on the MLB page. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't run that. Uh, I, I do a lot of contributing to that. Uh, how is that? Uh, I, I think it's a good complementary read mm -hmm. to places like Beyond the Box Score and Fangraphs and um, some of the other – and Bill James Online and, and resources like that. Uh, there will be – Reaction articles to almost anything significant that happens in not just baseball but across all the major sports. And our take, I think, is based on a combination of statistical analysis, uh, history, uh, in-depth like pitch performance analysis. We also have crews that do video review for every NFL game. Uh, and there was a lot of NFL content this year that involved video review. Uh, how often is this quarterback successful against the Blitz? And Trent yeah. Dilfer actually was involved in the training. Wow. He trained a group of people that, that work here in how to properly evaluate aspects of football. And you have to go through rigorous training and, and you have to note the sport, obviously. Um, so there's, there's the stats and info blog. Each night, each day, uh, each day before every game that's broadcast on ESPN, we do game previews that are just, uh, hey, five cool things to know about this game. We'll do reaction posts to games that happened that night. Remember that Jason Worth signed for $120 million uh, seven years, and our, uh, what we did, we have a free agency database where we have like 20 years worth of free agent signings uh, in a database. And we went through and we're looking and we're like, wow, 
If you look at the history of the Expos and Nationals free agent signings over the last 20 years, Mm -hmm. they spent more on Jason Worth in in terms of guaranteed commitment than they did on everybody else that they ever signed. Wow. So that that was kind of kooky, and that made for a good good angle that maybe people weren't necessarily familiar with previously. So that's kind of what the Stats and Info blog offers, a lot of reaction pieces, a lot of preview pieces, things of that sort. On ESPN New York, uh, as I think I was explaining before, I think the thing that separates that from some other places is I, I go in all sorts of different directions. I can go historical, statistical, or I'll do player interviews. Mm-hmm. I have a weekly series that I do this year called Remember When We Met, which is uh, essentially Mets history things that have come up that people have mm-hmm. maybe forgotten about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, for example, in 1983, Tom Seaver came back to the Mets and he started on opening day. The side story in that game is that a guy named Mike Howard got the winning hit mm-hmm. uh, in a 2-0 win. Mike Howard got the winning hit on opening day and never played another game in his career other than that in the 20 games he had played the year before. And I thought that was ridiculous. I mean, Daryl Strawberry came up right after, so it wasn't, it, it, you know, there was sort of an explanation, but I went and I tracked him down and I talked to him and it, it was a fun conversation mm-hmm. and I got, I got a good piece out of it. Uh, so I'll do something like that. Then another day, with you know, recently Chris Young pitched a one, you know, one hitter over seven innings and got a no decision. So I looked back at all the great pitching performances in Mets history mm-hmm. that got no decisions, and I'll write about something like that. I have a piece going up. Uh, it'll probably be up by the time of this posting about eighth year's hit streak uh, and and the different uh, number of different perspectives on that. Uh, in fact, the the Dodgers record holder for longest hit streak is Willie Davis, mm-hmm. and Willie Davis broke the record, if I'm not mistaken, against the Mets. And Andre Ethier has a chance to do the same wow. thing. So there's a cool statistical historical tie-in. And the other kicker to that is our analyst, Bobby V, made his major league debut in, that, in, in one of those games. That's hilarious. Wow, that's crazy. So, yeah, so, they, so there's a lot of different approaches that I can take. And I'll do statistical analysis pieces, too, where I'll look at, like, you guys ran some pieces recently about Ike Davis uh, and his plate approach. We'll do things like that. I've done stuff like that this year on David Wright uh, and his uh, hitting left-handed pitchers and how he's not hitting line drives as much against lefties over the, uh, a small sample, the beginning of this year and the end of last year, and you know something to watch in the month of May because he's going to be facing Kershaw, Sanchez, and potentially Sabathia too. Uh, so that's that's a that's an example of a statistical kind of piece that I do. I do I I have a, a lot of brain to kind of yeah. experiment, and it's 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 nice to have that kind of forum. Yeah, and the last thing I want to ask you is, you know, it's funny that you should just mention that because because uh, I believe that every time that you bring someone new on, uh, you you sit them down and, and and tell them to pick a year in the last sixty years, and they need to tell them the World Series result. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I always like to. I'll scare our newbies here. I, I'll bring them to the – I sit in the back row of our area. I'll say, all right, hey, how you doing? Uh, tell me about your interest in baseball. There's some pretty good trivia buffs uh, in our in our group. But I'll always say to them, uh, just so you know, the, here's a little parlor trick that I can do. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, pick a year between 1950 or whatever. And they'll say um, 1975. And I'll say, all right, Red Sox uh, and Reds, Reds in seven games. Uh, the winning run scored in the ninth inning, and the last out of the game was Carl uh, Yastrzemski. He was the last out of the World Series. He flied out to center field. Then I'll say, all right, pick another year, and they'll say 1978. 
and I'll say uh, Yankees over the Dodgers in six games. The World Series ends with a pop-up by Ron Say to the catcher. And I'll do that for six or seven different ones, and they'll just kind of walk away, and they'll be like, oh, shoot, that guy really <laughs> – that, that guy knows his stuff. And, like, everyone laughs when I do it. To me, it's just if you have something that you're passionate about, memory tends to stick to you. And for whatever reason, my passion in baseball is such that memory of trivia tends to stick to my brain. It could have, you know, for, it could have just as easily been rock and roll music. But for me, it's uh, it's baseball trivia and baseball knowledge that I'm, I'm very strongly entertained by, and it sticks to my brain, and, and it allows me to perform in a job like like this one. Well, hey, Mark, that's great, and you know, I really I really appreciate you joining me for this podcast and. Uh, and you know everyone, uh, check Mark's stuff out on the on the Stats Info blog as well as uh, the uh, as well as the Baseball Today podcast. You know, yes, uh, yes, we're rivals, but we're friendly. We're friendly rivals. So it's, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Mark. So thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it, and uh, we hope to get you back on soon. You can absolutely have me back on soon. founder, uh, Randy Gisierli. Randy, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Yeah, and you know, hey, Randy, I, I, you know, I heard a Kevin Goldstein podcast about, I think it was seven or eight months ago, and you said at the time that you still, you still believe that the Royals can, you know, could, could semi-compete this year. Uh, you know, how do you feel uh, at this point and going forward about the Royals? You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, on the one hand, yes, they've got a winning record. They've got a, a positive run differential. They're, they're certainly playing uh, a heck of a lot better than anybody expected them to. Um, on the other hand, I, I look at that starting rotation, and it's hard to believe that this team is going to be able to to stay even at 500 the rest of the way. But I'm still very optimistic about the future, and by future, I don't necessarily mean this season. My feeling is that we've seen enough from the Royals this year, not just in the development of minor league uh, prospects, and obviously a guy like Eric Hosmer getting called up, but in the way some of the guys on the major league roster, especially Alex Gordon, who you know had almost been written off prior to the season. I've seen enough development from these guys that reg- almost regardless of what happens the rest of this season, I feel like the Royals are in very good position to contend in 2012. And prior to the season, a lot of people were putting the Royals' window of opportunity out to 2013 or beyond. And I, I, I thought that that was not necessarily fair. I thought that the team had a shot of contending next season, and I feel much more strongly about that. So whatever happens the rest of this season is really just gravy at this point, but I think that at this point in time, I think we can say with some confidence that the Royals go into next season with serious thoughts of contention. And one of the most surprising uh, baseball moves, you know, pretty much I mean, all of baseball so far this year has been the call-up of Eric Cosmer, and, uh, and I know you're a big fan of him. Randy, what are your thoughts on, on, on just the whole situation in general? Uh, well, the first thing, I mean... The, the first thing you, you assess in any time a prospect is called up is, is the prospect ready? Forget all the financial and service time considerations. Is, is the player ready for the major leagues? And that is probably the easiest question to answer when it comes to the, to the Hosmer call-up. He is ready. There's not a doubt in my mind. Statistically, he has been an absolute beast, as you guys know. He had 439 in Omaha. Uh, his on-base percentage was well over 500. He was hitting lefties better than he was hitting right-handers. Um, and, and, you know, you talk to the scouts and, and the, the scouting reports on him going back to spring training were this kid's ready for the major leagues today. Uh, so uh, from that standpoint, 
you know, they're not rushing him to the major leagues. Uh, the Royals have had a long history of that back when their farm system wasn't nearly as deep of, of getting guys to the major leagues at the first sign of progress. Uh, that's not the case here. I think that Eric Cosmer is ready. I think he makes the Royals a better team right now. Um, I, you know, we can talk about the, the implications of sending Kilakai Hui down. I think the Royals mishandled him terribly, but I think their mishandling of him was more the last two or three seasons when they didn't promote him more than the fact that they sent him down after just a month of playing time this year. Uh, but I think that what the reason I think that the, the Hosmer call up has been such a sort of a, a momentous move in Kansas City and also nationally, but especially in Kansas City. I mean, there were 10,000 fans walk walk up sales, 10,000 walk up sales on Friday, yeah. the day of his debut. The whole weekend, there were a huge crowds at the stadium. I don't think that's just about Eric Hosmer per se. I think that's about two other things. One is that what Eric Hosmer represents is that he is the first elite prospect out of this farm system that has been that just hyped out of its shoes for the last six months to a year, you know, being on, you know, being covered in sports illustrated and ESPN magazine uh, as a farm system. I can't remember the last time I saw a team's farm system get this much attention. Um, and Hosmer is the first of those elite guys. And I think what he represents to Kansas city Royals fans, this is not like, uh, you know, a, a single top prospect in the system, where maybe the average fan hasn't, hasn't heard of the player. Every Royals fan in the Kansas City area, even the more casual fans, have heard about the farm system. And so Hosmer representing the, the, the acceleration of that youth movement, I think that was a huge part of the excitement. And the other thing is I think that calling him up sends a signal that the Royals are taking their chances of contending this year seriously. That, yeah, it's only a month into the season, but they are over 500. The division is upside down. The White Sox are terrible. The Twins are terrible. Uh, and if the Indians uh, don't continue their, 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 their torrid pace – this division could be won by a team with a barely 500 record. So I think that it also sends a signal to the fans that we have a chance to, to win this year. And I think that that is really what is, you know, making this, the, the Hosmer call up that much of a news story. So speaking of which, you know, I, I'm obviously the Royals, you know, I mean, the, the AL Central, as you said, uh, Randy, isn't, isn't, uh, you know, it's not that hard to win. And, and really at this point, any team has a chance, but the Royals are in second place. So, so I mean, your opinion, uh, and I know you had a great uh, a tweet today about the Royals uh, pitching depth. What else, you know, aside from, aside from depth, aside from the, you know, from the hot starts of Gordon and guys like that, what has to go right? What has to happen for, for this team to be able to be, in, you know, to be able to be in it in uh, August and September? Um, well, un- unfortunately there are a few things that have to go just right. And that's why I'm still, again, I'm, I'm enjoying the ride, but I'm not really, uh, getting my hopes up too much. Yeah, um, yeah I, my, my, my hopes were up, but uh, I just found out from Dale, I didn't realize that Bruce Chan went on the deal. So without the stopper, I'm not sure what they're going to do. <laughs> the rest well, of the I season. mean, that is, I mean, but the, the issue here, obviously, I mean, the number one thing is they have got to get better performances out of the starting rotation one way or the other. And what that means is, you know, either some of the guys that are currently in the rotation step up, which I think we all think is rather unlikely. I mean, I think that Luke Hochaver is capable of being a, a, a solid average starter in the major leagues. Uh, Bruce Chen has, has been that so far. I don't know if he can maintain that. Um, I think Kyle Davies is a better pitcher than he's shown, but that doesn't mean he's a good pitcher. I mean, he's got an ERA over seven. He could be a lot better and still suck. So I think that either those guys step up or more likely what you're going to see is if the Royals can just sort of tread water for the next month or so, yeah. they're going to need to get at least one and probably two of their top young starters into the major league rotation. And fortunately they have two guys who are ready for that or almost ready. Danny Duffy might be ready now. And, you know, given that they've kind of gone all in with Hosmer, I would not at all be surprised if, if Danny Duffy is up before the month is out, that he's in that rotation. And then Mike Montgomery having some control issues, but showing very good stuff as well. I think he'll probably be up by the all-star break. 
So if you suddenly put those two guys in the rotation, then the, then the Royals need both of them to pitch well, which is not impossible. I mean, pitchers, I think, tend to find instant success in the major leagues easier than hitters because pitching is an action, whereas hitting is a reaction. And for hitters, they need to adjust to to facing pitching stuff that they've never seen before. They're seeing guys who throw harder, who command their stuff better. Mm-hmm. Whereas a pitcher, you're doing the same action either way. It's the, the hitters that have to react to you. So there's no there's no question that both of those guys can be successful right away. But the Royals are going to need both of them to, to be successful. They're also going to need at least one or two of the guys in the rotation to step up. Uh, and then they need to make sure that, that uh, Jeff Francoeur doesn't turn back into a pumpkin. Alex Gordon keeps hitting. Wilson Bediment keeps hitting. You know, uh, the Royals are tied for the lead in run score in the American League. And to me, that is almost, if not more, surprising than the fact that they're above 500. I mean, this I thought this team would be a decent offense, but the Royals have not had a league-leading offense in 30 years. And I, I don't think I, – I think I could be forgiven for not thinking that an offense that was relying on Jeff Francoeur and Melky Cabrera to be the team that broke that streak. So do you think that that if you know well, let's say let's say Frank Cor Melky uh, come back to earth and you know is is it is there a chance that the really you know it's a very good bullpen it's very young but it has a lot you know there's great stuff there so there's a lot mm-hmm. of talent and the rotation you know as you said uh, Mike Montgomery and Danny Duffy could be up uh, you know uh, before the All Star break and especially especially Danny Duffy you know is, is there a chance that if the if the offense uh, stops clicking you know that the pitching could help them come through? Well, I think you know yeah you know, like I said I mean I don't think the offense needs to remain. Mm-hmm the top of the league and run score, but it needs to be at least a middle of the pack offense, maybe slightly better than that. Uh, in which case, if that's the case, then I think from the, from the, uh, the pitching staff, I think you're going to see improvement as the season goes along. I mean, for one thing, like you said, the bullpen is a much better outfit yeah. than the rotation the, the combined ERA of the bullpen for the Royals is 328 right now. And the rotations ERA is 475. That's an enormous difference, but I think that that's a reasonable approximation of their skill sets. The, the only issue really the bullpen has had has been just throwing strikes. Tim Collins walks a ton of guys. Jeremy Jeffers has had some control issues. Uh, but I think now that Joaquin Story seems to be sort of back to himself, they, the Royals have every pitcher in that bullpen, with the exception of, of Nate Adcock, the Rule 5 guy, pretty much every other guy in that bullpen has really intriguing stuff. I mean, yeah. Jeffers throws incredibly hard. Tim Collins is like a is, – is a, is a, he's a circus freak. I mean, he's really the shorter, more – you know. Uh, the, the, the shorter left-handed version of Tim Lincecum in, in many ways, and he's a joy to watch. Aaron Crow has has filthy stuff. Even Luis Coleman, as a right-handed specialist, um, yeah. he has a slider that's very effective against right-handed hitters. So all of those guys, uh, you know, are would would have been the second or third best reliever in this bullpen just a few years ago. So the Royals don't really need to worry about their bullpen. What all they really need is to get some sort of regression back to the mean from their starting rotation. Like I said, either some of the guys step up or they replace them outright. Vinny Mazzaro is going into the rotation tomorrow for Bruce Chen. Maybe he'll he'll yeah. be a part of the answer. Um, but it's going to be tough. I really feel like the odds that this rotation is is going to be better than, I don't know, ninth or 10th in the league is pretty slim. So the Royals really, in order to stay in contention, they need the offense to continue to mash uh, and stay close to the league lead and run score. And Randy, I want to talk a little bit about the system. And, and you know, it's funny because I think Matt and I talk about this every single week, you know, more than once every single week, The uh, obviously the Granke trade. And, you know, I'm not sure I ever got your opinion, but I'm sure you've been asked a, a zillions of times. You know, what do you what do you make of it at this point? Because you know, yes, Alcides Escobar has not really been hitting so far, but you know, uh, Jeffers has been really good. You know, he's looked really good. Uh, Lorenzo Cain is struggling a little bit in AAA, but you know, I always called this trade a win. I, I want to know what you think. It's interesting, actually. Nobody has has. I mean, everyone asked my opinion when it first happened, but I haven't really been asked about it recently mm-hmm. and and going back to the to the evening of the trade and you, as you recall it was kind of it was leaked out by um 
So Bernie's crew, Jim Breen of yeah, Bernie's Jim crew, Milwaukee Brewers blog. And the original report, I mean, he had it, he nailed it with the one exception. The original report was that the Royals had traded Granke and 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 Unesco Betancourt for Alcides Escobar, Lorenzo Cain, and um, and Jeremy Jeffers. And Jeremy Jeffers. Yeah. And my initial reaction, which I think I tweeted at the time, was I, I was disappointed. I thought that that was it wasn't a horrible horrible trade, but I thought that the Royals didn't get enough. And then an hour or two later, word leaked out that oh, uh, Jake Odorizzi might be in the deal, and that flipped my opinion from being disappointed to. I was suddenly quite intrigued, and you know, I had to sit down and sort of let the emotions die down and and, and analyze it uh, rationally. And I really, I came to the conclusion that, while you know, it, it's not the sort of uh, you know A plus trade you'd like to make, uh, you know, realistically, I thought the Royals did about as good as they could have done uh, because I really, I really felt that Odorizzi could be the jewel of this trade. And you know, here we are, six weeks into the season. You know, Granky obviously, it looks better because Granky missed the first month of the season with a broken rib, but he pitched very well last night. Escobar's not hitting, but he, he's playing defense as well as I've seen any shortstop yep. in City play. That's not a high bar, but he seems <laughs> like a definite above-average defensive shortstop. He is 24 years old. He's still There is room, you know, for improvement offensively. Uh, he, you know, hit for a good average in the minor leagues. So I think it's too early to say what kind of a player he's going to be. I think at worst, he's going to be a, a glove for a shortstop whose glove keeps him in the lineup. He'll still be a below average player, but above replacement level. I don't think there's any question he's above replacement level, but if he can, you know, get his batting average up to the 270 to 280 range, even without secondary skills, you combine his defense, his speed and a 270 average. That's, that is almost an average uh, shortstop overall. So he has value. Jeremy Jeffress, uh, as you know, he's, he's only a reliever, and there's a limit to how much value any of those guys are going to have. But I think he can be an impact reliever. Lorenzo Cain, uh, you know, <laughs> quietly is having. He started off uh, slow in, in AAA, but he's gotten his on base percentage up close to 400. He he has from what every every scout has told me is an above average glove. I think again he will be an average, maybe fringe average center fielder. But again, a, a, you know, in bulk that's a valuable guy. You've got an average shortstop, an average center fielder. But then you throw Odorizzi in the deal. And Odorizzi is the guy who's really had the potential to break out, and he's doing that right now in Wilmington. And he's in high A ball. Uh, I think he's got like 38 strikeouts in 26 innings. I don't think he'll ever be cranky, but he has – I mean, I think he's going to be a top 50 prospect, <laughs> if not a top 25 prospect in all of baseball at the end of the year. He has the potential to be a number two starter in the majors. And if, if he reaches that potential, this I think there's no way you can say this is anything other than a win for the Royals because to get four guys who all have value – and one of those four guys turns into a borderline star. That's that's about as good as any team can do for for a starting pitcher with two years left on their contract. You look at the the Cliff Lee deals, the CC Sabathia deal, the Dan Heron trade, which you know the Diamondbacks got like Joe Saunders and mm-hmm. a couple of lottery tickets. Yeah. If you just look at the what the market rate has been for starting pitchers, um, I think that uh, the Royals actually did very well in the Dranky deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I guess I I, I kind of agree. I would I I wouldn't be quite that uh, uh, positive about it, uh, uh, Randy, but I think uh, I, I tend to agree. Uh, I would have liked to have seen uh, more upside in the mm-hmm. trade. But my, my feeling, I don't know how, this is a larger issue, is I don't think we're going to see those high upside position, those top 10 position player prospects be traded almost ever anymore. You know, I mean, uh, I, would, I would honestly, I mean, I don't think I'm pushing this. I would rather have had Jesus Montero straight up than what we got. But guys like, even the Yankees aren't going to be trading guys like Montero anymore. Guys like Trout, Montero, Eric Hosmer, those guys aren't going to be part of trades. Teams are not valuing it this way. I mean, I think the Heron deal, 
I mean, it's a little bit unfair to compare it with that because that was just idiotic on the part of the Diamondbacks. Right, I mean, but idiotic that, trades I mean, do but, but, get made, you know, and that's the thing. I think yeah, that the Royals, maybe yeah. the, they've set their, you know, we, they have set their expectations uh, so low that we're we're impressed when they don't screw up. But yeah. I think that, yeah, you know, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm not saying it's, I wouldn't say it's a bad trade. I mean, I was, I, I guess I'm. Uh, Looking back on it, I was pretty disappointed at the time. I didn't think it was terrible. I just thought, well, that's kind of blah because we got right. a reliever, two role players, and a, a pitching prospect, which is great. But pitching prospects just aren't nearly worth as much as, as hitting prospects. And uh, I was hoping for, I don't know, a Desmond Jennings type of player. And I don't now. I think in the past, those I mean, there's reasons I thought that could happen in the past. Those trades of maybe not Desmond Jennings or Montero, whoever, but some, but you know, a really good position player. Not that we don't have them, but. You get all the value you can. Sure. No, I mean, and, uh, you know, and, and 20 and years guess, ago. Go on. Sorry. Well, no, yeah. I, I mean, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think with Escobar, I mean, I, I think uh, a year ago he would have been the centerpiece of the trade. Right. And I think it, his star's really fallen in. Understandably, I think he is a he's at least above average shortstop, and he's probably better than that. I think his bat is starting to get a little bit scary. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, uh, I think I, I, I tend to agree with you. He's probably around an average player. Uh, and Kane, you know, so I, I kind of think Escobar is sort of his upside, sort of a poor man's Alexi Ramirez. Although, uh, and, and let's face it, uh, maybe Escobar doesn't have to become a better, uh, much of a better hitter. Maybe the uh, league average will just keep dropping. Right, and that's something we have to remember. I mean, offense is down so much this year that, yeah. and, and it's 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 as a Royals fan, I think it's easy to lose that perspective because the offensive context in Royals games has actually not gone down at all. I mean, the Royals lead the league in runs scored yeah. and they're close to the bottom of the league uh, in, in, in runs allowed. But, you know, just, just from last year, ERAs are down half a point and, you know, the league average OPS is what, like barely, barely 700. I mean, it's really kind of ridiculous. So, um, so yeah, I think Escobar, you doesn't have to hit much more than he is now to be an asset. But to get back to your point about like trade value, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, I think you would have gotten, you know, the standards for what you can get for a veteran player were a lot higher because I think teams just didn't value prospects and the, and the sort of the, the, the value of a prospect in terms of getting six years of performance at well below market value salary. They didn't value it the way they do now. You look back at like the Randy Johnson trade where the, the Mariners traded him for the Astros for half a season. And it, it was a dominant half season, one of the great half seasons I've ever seen. But the Mariners got what? They got Freddie Garcia. They got Carlos Guillen. And I'm trying to remember who the third player in that deal was. But they got, I think the third player was a pitcher who gave them a year or two of, of decent pitching. And then they got an everyday shortstop. Uh, and then they got, you know, Freddie Garcia, who's still pitching, you know, 10, 12 years tonight, later against the Royals. Oh, there you go. He's tonight's starter. Yeah. To bring this it's all gonna, around. It's, it's going to be a duel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll uh, see about that. Yeah, yeah, Kyle, but, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Davies. Um, let's just hope Kyle Davies remember to, to pack a gun to this duel. But, but, you know, it's a pathetic tale of the duel to the death that ended in a draw. Uh, that's right. We're both of them on the ground lying in pools of their own blood. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think the standard for, for what you can get is, is gone down uh, a fair amount. And, uh, and and you bring back, you know, bring the point that a year ago, you you know, Escobar would have been that elite player. I mean, he was, I think, ranked 11th or 12th on Baseball America's top 100 prospects. Yeah. And so when you break it down that way, you, you say, OK, the world's got a guy who a year ago was a top 12 prospect in all of baseball. Um, and then they got you know, a, a starting pitcher prospect who, you know, a, a, a year from now might be a top 20 prospect. Yeah. And then they got, you know, at least, you know, they got a good reliever and then they got, okay, you, you got kind of a bulk talent in center field, but the combination of sort of uh, 
low upside but high probability, low risk prospects they got in the deal, plus getting the, the high risk, high upside guy in Odorizzi. I mean, I think the bottom line is whether this trade ultimately looks good or looks bad five years from now, it's going to come down to Odorizzi. And, yeah. you know, he could get hurt tomorrow and this could look like a terrible trade. But if you talk about how, you know, the Royals, you would have done rather gotten Jesus Montero than all these guys. You'd rather have the elite prospect, no question. Yeah. But if you can get four guys and one of those guys has a 25% chance of being an elite prospect in, in a year or two, um, that's that's not a bad deal. I think that, you know, that's really, especially when you consider the limitations the Royals had, because Greg had a no-trade contract, you know, the Yankees were rumored to be interested, but ultimately they decided that they didn't want to take the risk of having Granky in New York City. So that takes Montero off the table. The yeah. Royals, you know, apparently had a deal worked out with the Washington Nationals. That deal sounded even better. Yeah, George Zimmerman. Well, yeah, Jordan Zimmerman, we know. We're not entirely sure, but I was told it was Jordan Zimmerman, Danny Espinosa, uh, Drew Storn, and wow. then... Um, uh, Yuri Perez? The, no, no, the uh, catcher, Derek Norris. Oh, wow. Yeah, not yeah, a big Storn th- fan, but... Yeah. But, yeah, Storn, fine. But, you know, Storn versus Jeffers, I'd rather have Jeffers. But you know, Jordan Zimmerman yeah. is, you know, what Odorizzi hopes to be. Uh, and Derek Norris is, you know, a, a potentially elite catching prospect. And Danny Espinosa... You know, he might be the Lorenzo King of shortstop, but he could be a usable shortstop. That's a great pile of talent, but you know what? Granke refused to, to, to waive his no-trade contract. So the Royals were dealing with a lot of limitations. I think in yeah. the end, they got the best deal they could. And I think, you know, I, I feel slightly better about the trade today, having seen Escobar's glove and having seen Odorizzi's progression. I feel a little bit better about it today than I did four months ago. Yeah, and Andy, hey, Lorenzo, uh, sorry, Jeremy Jeffers can really light up the joint, so uh, I'm really pleased and the radar with the way things I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think what really I'm disappointed about is is while that makes it the trade, I think the trades that trade's better now. It makes it even more disappointed about the Betancourt trade because the really missing out on the comedy potential of Cortez and Jeffers together in the bullpen. I think that's a big letdown. Yeah, then again, that might be why the Royals made the trade. There's the same <laughs> that, reason that. One of the first things Deaton Moore did when he took the job was he he got rid of Ambi Orks Burgos and Andy Cisco. Uh, yeah, I think there was that there, there was already that sort of you, you you can have you can have one of those guys in your well you can't have Ambi Orks Bur- Burgos anywhere you can't have anywhere outside of the penal system at this point but uh, <laughs> yeah. you could have one of those guys in your bullpen but you put both of those guys together it's not a good combination so well, I mean you know the, the Royals value their their they do value character to some degree I think that's one of the reasons they sold low on Danny Cortez. Uh, it was a dumb trade, but you can kind of see where they were coming from with getting rid of Cortez. Hey, well, and, then, and of course, the, the great pairing would have been if they would have uh, that 2008, that fateful 2008-2009 uh, offseason when the Kiaspo was still going to be their second baseman and they were trying to get for a call. I mean, you know, hey, hey, don't hang around the K afterwards, folks. No, Drive home right away. <laughs> hey, Randy. Yes. Um, here's, here's a couple more questions because I know you, you know, I, I know if you get going soon, but you know, I, I really want to ask you this especially because you know, I, I look at this Royals team right now, and and I, I, you know, I can't ever imagine them, you know, I can't ever imagine not liking them, but you know, I want to ask you if you know if, if you could. <laughs> As somebody who's been rooting for this team for the last quarter century, you have no idea just how bizarre that statement is. No, listen, seriously, because you know, because I look at the Royals right now, and 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 they have the best farm system in baseball, and it seems like every time something good happens to the Royals, they get more and more attention. But it seems like the core of that attention is about their farm system. So my question is, you know, can you ever imagine the Royals? You know, can you ever imagine not liking the Royals because maybe they're being, you know, maybe they're too exclusive of a team, maybe they're too good, like the Yankees, and getting too much attention. You know, will that ever turn you off? Uh, I would I would love to be te- be in the situation where my loyalty is tested like that. That's all I can say. It's um, I, 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 I it's so hard for me to imagine that. 
Mm. And and the irony, I mean, there, there was a point, I think, in the 70s and, and, and early 80s where for a small market team, I mean, the Royals were the, you know, the sort of, they were what the, maybe the Twins were going into the season or the, mm-hmm. or the Rays are striving to be. That well, small like market team that everyone respect, yeah, you know, that everyone respected. But that was a little bit before my time. And, you know, like I said, it's been 25 years of rooting for a progressively more hapless organization. Um, but but I thought about it. I've never really rooted for a popular team. I mean, I you know I went to University of Michigan for medical school, and so I, you know for while my while I was there, I rooted for University of Michigan in, in, in basketball, especially football. And you know, the minute I left Ann Arbor, or, or, or the minute I left Michigan, really my loyalties faded. And I don't know if that's just because that you know I, I kind of I've turned away from college sports in general. I'm just tired of the hypocrisy of the NCAA. But I, I have wondered to myself how much of that is just because. It's it's just too easy. It's too trendy to root for for a team like Michigan in college sports. Um, so I, I I can't answer that question. I, yeah. I I highly doubt it. I think I've invested too much of my life in this in this team in this organization um, to worry about whether or not other people like them. I didn't care when nobody liked them, so I don't see why why I would care yeah. if everyone liked them. Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. Well, one thing, uh, Randy, I know you have a limited time, and uh, we don't have to talk on everything tonight, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's, it's been interesting because, uh, you know, I, I've kind of come around. Uh, you and I had a little exchange on Twitter a while back where uh, we were trying to come up with good comp- comparables for Dayton Moore. And I, I, I'm more and more strongly thinking, not just by watching Dayton, but by watching Dan O'Dowd, that that's a good comparison. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a guy who, I'm not sure learning from his mistakes is even the right word, but I was going to say, I don't think we'll have to worry about the team ever becoming that dominant because even uh, when I look at O'Dowd, and I, I, I want to make – I want to make this a positive comment too, because he's done a good job. I mean, uh, but on the other hand, he's a guy who the Rockies have all these assets. They haven't drafted as well lately, but whatever, you, you know what I, you know what I mean? In terms mm-hmm. of a real home, great homegrown team team, uh, have made, I think the holiday trade, uh, you know, it's might be comp- comparable to the, hopefully we, we hope that the Grinky trade will turn out to be like that for the Royals. Mm-hmm. Uh, with is, is Gonzalez. Uh, anyway, uh, but a guy who, uh, has to kind of grow his own talent because he, he never really maximizes his assets <laughs> in terms of there's still this attachment to uh, crappy veterans, uh, mm-hmm. impatience with players who are obviously awesome right away, guys like Ian Stewart and Chris Iannetta. Right. But despite that being in sort of a mediocre division and, and doing well in terms of developing the core of his team. How do you think of that as a comparison? I also think that limits the chance. I mean, the Rockies aren't going to become the Yankees. And I think uh, O'Dowd has his part in that. And uh, maybe that that's a good comparison, a positive one though, for the Royals. Cause I like, no, the I think it's our organization. I think it's a very good comparison because, you know, you go back to the early years of Dan O'Dowd and I mean, it was a wonder that he kept his job in the early years. You could say, say whatever you want about Dayton Moore. There's nothing Dayton Moore has done that is remotely as damaging to a franchise as the twin contracts that O'Dowd gave out to Mike Hampton and Denny Nagel, you know, 10, 11 years ago, which, you know, really, I mean, like I said, it was, it was a miracle he held on to his job. And back in 2003, I was invited to speak at the uh, the Sabre Conference that year, uh, which was held in Denver. Uh, and it was I was basically asked to speak on a panel about how to how to how to play baseball, how to win at high altitude, how, how the altitude of, of course field. Uh, affects you know the way your strategies for putting together a baseball team. This is just after they brought in the humidor and things like that. And on this panel, they I, I was ridiculously underqualified to be on this panel. Was um, is it Robert Adair or Richard Adair? Doctor Adair, the uh, uh, author of the Physics of Baseball, Yale professor, uh, and Dan O'Dowd. And it, 
you know, I came in thinking, oh boy, Dan O'Dowd. I mean, this, you know, he did not have the best reputation as a general manager at that point. But, you know, we sit down at the panel. The panel lasted a little over an hour. I got to, to say a few words about the studies I had done looking at that, uh, at that question. But I was really struck by just how, you know, sort of, I, I expected, you know, maybe it's, it's naive to think this, but you just expect, oh, a general manager makes dumb moves. Oh, he just must not be that smart. And actually, Dan O'Dowd struck me as an incredibly intelligent a very articulate guy, and and he he talked about all the things that the Rockies had done to explore how to win at altitude. Things like they were bouncing baseballs from the, they were dropping baseballs from like the top of the stadium to measure the coefficient of restitution. Things that just you don't associate with you know a general manager who signed Mike Camden an eight year one hundred twenty million dollar contract. And I realized you know what the, these guys are all a lot smarter than we give them credit for. And I came away from that conference, you know, rather impressed that, you know, Dan O'Dowd is not a dumb guy. He's a smart guy who has made some dumb moves. And I, and I was very curious to see what would happen to his career in Colorado. And it has been somewhat gratifying to see that he did after, you know, a period of a few years and after some, some major mistakes, he learned from his errors. And, you know, the Rockies have focused more on player development. And, you know, you go out and, and you know, you sign a uh, you, you draft a Troy Tulowitzki. You go out and, and you, you you know trade for Carlos Gonzalez. You, 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 your player development comes up with an Ovaldo Jimenez. And, and you know what? It's a lot easier to be a smart GM when you're, you're developing young talent. And, and so, yeah, I think Dayton Moore, all of the, the mistakes, and they were no question they were mistakes in his earlier years in Kansas City, you know, was, was infuriating as a Royals fan. But I, I think we may have let it obscure the fact that really the most important thing for, for almost any GM, but certainly a GM of a small market team, is simply player development. And there's going to be, you know, we know there's going to be potholes along the way. We know not all these guys are going to develop. But if this player development machine that the Royals have created is as, you know, is even remotely as productive as it looks like it's going to be, and more importantly, if they manage to continue this wave, if it's not just a single wave, but they develop a real pipeline. And, and that's why I talk a lot about the guys who are still in extended spring training, the teenage guys, the guys like Jason Adam and Chester Cuthbert, guys who are maybe top prospects two, three years from now. If the Royals keep that going, I think Dayton Moore is going to find success in Kansas City no matter what you know, moves he makes at the major league level, you know, the, the, the marginal moves, that, you know, the going out and you know, paying too much for a reliever or going out and getting another really Bloomquist, things like that. I don't think it's going to matter nearly as much uh, as long as they keep the player development going. Yeah. Well, well hey, Randy, you know, I, I want to let you go. Uh, you know, we're taking, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I really appreciate you joining us. It's been it's been great to talk Royals with you, and and you know this is this is our Royals week, so we're Matt and I are we're just so happy to talk Royals for once because we can keep Dave, every out. week every week is Royals week. Let's not forget well every that. day is Royals week, but on the podcast we try to we try to limit it a little bit. But you know I keep telling Matt Matt I want to talk about the Royals, so I said you know what let's get let's, let's get Randy on and we'll talk uh, some good Royals talk, and that's what we did. So we're definitely thankful. And if you'd like to follow Randy on Twitter, he is at Jazzy Early. Uh, J a z a y e r l i and uh, Randy, uh, your column is is it Randy at the is it Randy on the Royals dot com or is it Randy on the Royals dot blogspot dot com? No, Randy on the Royals dot com. Randy R a n y on the Royals dot com. Uh, you can read all of my stuff there. Uh, I also host a weekly radio show in Kansas City on eight ten WHB. You can listen to that generally most Thursdays uh, at six p.m. Uh, you can probably read an archive of all my old stuff at Baseball Prospectus uh, dot com. And I think that's podcast. 
Oh, and the podcast. Thank you for reminding me. Yes, <laughs> and I have my own, uh, I have my own podcast that I do with uh, Joe Sheehan, also uh, former founder of Baseball Perspectives, writes for Sports Illustrated now. Uh, the Baseball Show with Randy and Joe. You can find that on iTunes. Uh, please uh, give it a listen. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, listen. Uh, thanks, Randy, so much. Yeah. Thanks, Randy. No, not a problem. Talk to you guys later. Take care. interviews with Randy and Mark. Uh, Matt, so what do you got planned for the rest of the week? Well, you know, I just came out with this on Beyond Box Score. I just uh, came out with my... Uh, yeah, I saw that. Sorry, my saw catcher that. defense rankings. And uh, Matt Wieters. Interesting results there. Yeah, Matt Wieters. You know, I think it's interesting. Wieters, you know, we all expected... Well, we shouldn't just say we all expected. There were some people who thought that basically he was going to be the best hitter in baseball right away, or one of the best hitters. And uh, that did not happen. But, you know, the funny thing is... The Orioles, unlike, uh, say, what the Rockies or maybe the Royals would have done, the Orioles have uh, stuck with him. And uh, for one thing, he's a catcher, so he doesn't have to be a dominating hitter. And he's been good defensively. He doesn't get credit for it because everyone's, well, because he's not old enough for people to give him credit. And he's not a bad enough hitter for people to pretend he's a good hitter, uh, defender. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, so that's, that's something I did. And I, uh, so yeah. And and uh, yeah, I, I I really like to post actually. Um, I do you have anything planned for Fangraphs? Yeah, well, I had this post about Ian Stewart uh-huh. on Monday, and uh, I have some other stuff coming up this week. I have some longer-term research projects uh, that I've been planning to publish the results of, but I'm not. Uh, we'll talk about those once I actually get them out. Yeah, I have to write them up. It's one thing to get the results, another thing to write them up. Yeah, well, uh, that's. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it as always. What are you working on? Um, well, I'm working on. You know, I want to. I'm working on actually a graph, and, and I'm not sure what I'm going to put in the graph, but um, I, you know, I'm all about the design, and I, I had a really cool idea of making a graph uh, look like a newspaper cover, you know, with like the old style writing and stuff like that. So, so I'm going to put something in. I'm in the, you know, in the graph, but it, but it's going to look really cool regardless, uh, regardless if it makes sense. <laughs> which which my graphs tend to not make sense a lot, which is not good. But I got to work hard on them. I. I had a I had a post that I felt good about yesterday. It was about um, it was about how there's if you know if you go to Nationals Park, yeah. there's no expos anything there, and it's about how you know the Nationals uh, they want to use the, uh, they want to uh, promote Washington's history rather than the organization's history, which is understandable, but you know it's yeah. whatever. Well, people you should ask expos fans they feel about it. Things like Tom Tango wrote some stuff about that last year. Is he an expos fan? Uh, yeah, he grew up in Montreal, yeah. and so uh, you know you should. Check that out. I mean, I, I think his feeling was they shouldn't. Pre- he doesn't mind. I mean, he doesn't. He actually wishes. He's glad they don't pretend it's the same franchise. Right. Probably because you know, Expos fans are understandably bitter about how the way that worked out with MLB. Jonah Carey, I'm sure, yeah. has some thoughts on that as well. Dustin Parks, uh, Ali, uh, or sorry, um, April Witzman. Yeah, a lot. Of, there's a lot of there's a lot of Expos fans who were still out there. You know, I mean, a lot of them had to change to Jays fans. But Alex up in Montreal. What's that? Alex Anthopoulos, the current uh, GM oh, of the Blue oh, Jays, grew up in Montreal. Montreal. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, it is sad. And, and, and they were going to move to Labatt Field. They had that great ballpark design. But, you know, things don't work out all the time. And, and that's that. Um, Matt, you know, uh, one of the big things I'm really excited about for this week is Taco Tuesday at my house. So I'm going to go well, I'm gonna go get to that. Well, enjoy it. Hey, it was great talking to you. Oh, yeah, you too, man. We'll talk next week. Look for the 
necessities, the simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean a bare necessities. That's why a bear can rest at ease with just the bare necessities of life. Yeah, with just the bare necessities of life. Yeah, man.